You can say words to welcome people into the podcast. Oh, you always do that. Oh, but I asked if you wanted to do it. Oh, you meant introing the whole podcast. Right. I thought just the topic that we're talking about, but that's okay. Hey, welcome to the Calvary Cast, everybody. <laughs> well, we just did work as an intro. It's very uh, That was not planned like that at all. So. No, it wasn't. I just, you just kept pointing at me, and I was like, okay. I, yeah. I was pointing at it as the signal to go, go. Good thing this isn't on film because people would have seen you sit there. Well, people in the biz would know that that's the signal to go. Exactly, because we didn't have the clicker thing. That's right. This was on uh, film, though. They just see you bobbing your head and all that. Because this is a groovy song. It's a groovy song song than our last one. Yes. It's a good podcast song. It is. I think so. Yeah. How long do we keep it going? Because I still hear it. Well, it's dying and out. Wow, okay. That like cuts that. off quick. Yeah, I usually fade it down so it's not quite as abrupt. Right. So, yeah. Well, welcome to the Calvary Cast. I'm yeah. Graham. You are? I'm Jess, and I'll welcome you, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. We were made to podcast. I guess. Right? Yeah, I think so. We're on episode 62. What are we doing today? Well, we are going to be in Matthew's Gospel again. Hmm. Uh, chapter 17, which is a passage that you preached from. I did. Because, uh, well, many people probably that are listening to this know that we are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to stick to like one to two weeks per chapter, giving more of a big picture of those chapters and how they tie into the whole. Mm-hmm. Really just kind of uh, honing in on the main points. And so with this particular one, uh, you had some things that you didn't get a chance to cover, as we right. do with all of them, right. if you're only going to do one or two weeks. And so you're going to talk about that. Oh, okay. Glad uh, glad to be informed of that. Yeah, so <laughs> you're going to do you're going to be looking this uh, today at uh, yeah. verses 14 through 27. Yep. The healing of a boy with a demon and then the the temple tax cuz those pass all I looked at was the transfiguration. So, yeah, let's read those. Okay. I'll begin reading in verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, "Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly." For often he falls in the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, Graham, do you want me to keep reading the rest of that, or do you uh, want to just yeah, talk let's about just that? Yeah, we'll let's go. just talk about that passage okay. first. And I'll, I'll start by just introing what we did look at. So in chapter 17, what I focused on was the first 13 verses. Well, and actually the end of chapter 16, which is the transfiguration. And the transfiguration is this moment in time where Peter and James and John are allowed to see what Christ will be like in his glorified state. So uh, we looked at several passages, even, you know, you can go to John 17, and Jesus prays and desires to be with the Father and have the glory that he had with him before the world was created, right? So, So Jesus is in his glorified state, and it's the state that he will return again in power one day with the angels. That's what... 
the end of chapter 16 when it says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Jesus is giving them a picture of what that's going to look like, what he will be like. And so we talked about that. And then I, I brought out, I think there's three elements in the transfiguration passage um, that we need to understand. One is the prediction of the future. So again, a prediction of what Christ will be like when he's raised from the dead and he returns in glory. And then also the Father's speaking, uh, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. It's the the Father is predicting there in a sense that even in the coming death of Jesus, he takes pleasure. So there's a predictive nature. And then this passage is a fulfillment of Scripture, and really the, the big fulfillment is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the eschatological hopes of the Old Testament. So as the Old Testament prophets and kings and the, the believers of the Old Testament are looking forward to one who would come, it's Jesus. And especially the appearance of Moses and Elijah on the mountain signify that because they are key eschatological figures in the Old Testament. And then the third thing was just application for us. And three of the points I made were, first of all, the necessity to listen to Jesus. You know, when, when the Father speaks over Jesus and says, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. Uh, you know, Jesus is the one we are we are to hear him, hear him through uh, the written word that we have today. Then the second thing is a desire to see the glory of Jesus. And again, in John 17, Jesus prays uh, that he, he desires for his people to be with him and to see his glory. So it's a wonderful thing for us to long to see the actual glory of Jesus. But the third point I made was this, that that we behold the glory of the Lord now as we are transformed by Christ. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 brings this out, that when we've turned to the Lord in faith, in faith, the veil has been removed. We now see Christ, and as we have turned to Christ, we're being transformed to be like him. So we see his glory now. So those are the, the three points of application. But what I didn't touch on from this passage was, was these two other ones. The first one of this healing of the boy with a demon, and then the, the issue of the temple tax. Um. And the reason why is because these are kind of, they seem disconnected. They don't really seem to necessarily right away connect. There's some people that draw a connection between, you know, you have the glory on the mountain, uh, Jesus, Peter, James, and John are, are basking in the glory of Jesus, and they come down on the mountain, and it's confusion and chaos. So some people have, there's even a famous painting based on this, and it's kind of a novel idea. I don't think that's the point Matthew wants us uh, to to meet or, or to see, I think Matthew is just teaching us specific things that we need to know about Jesus. So the first one I want to look at is this healing of the boy with a demon. Um, this boy has epileptic episodes and he is possessed by a demon. Uh, and the problem is that, that this father brings to the disciples his son and they're not able to cap cast this demon out. Um, so just a couple of things that I wanted to uh, to point out that I, I really love from this scene, and I think these are applicable to us, but first of all, notice in verse 15, the mercy of Jesus, right? So this man comes up and kneels before Jesus. He says, Lord, have mercy on my son. This man knows that Jesus has mercy on suffering people. I think that's the thing that kind of jumped out to me, just as a, if I make application from this, things that we need to learn and know about Jesus, Jesus has mercy on suffering people. And what this boy is suffering is immense. Right, epileptic episodes where he falls on the ground and seizes, and sometimes he's thrown into the fire, so he's burned. He's probably actually got some severe scar issues and things like that. Sometimes he's thrown in the water and nearly drowns. Like this is 
severe suffering, and this man knows that Jesus has mercy on those kinds of people. Yeah. And, and that is a stark contrast because you think in probably that cultural setting, this boy would have been an outcast right. on well, the outskirts of society. Flash forward to chapter 20, and um, there's these the two blind men. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. In verses 29, he says, And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And then immediately the crowd rebuked them, mm. telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. So that theme of mercy. Yeah coming to Jesus for mercy, him being merciful is in contrast yes. to the way people would have treated somebody like that then. Yeah, right? exactly. So I think that's just a a wonderful reminder and a, and a picture of the fact that we can go to merciful Jesus and we can cry out and have mercy, and he does, because right. that's what he does. He has mercy. He casts the, the demon out. He heals this boy. Uh, so Jesus is, is merciful. The second thing is the compassion of Jesus towards the Father who's weak in faith. Um, and Mark brings this out more. Mark, in Mark chapter 9, expounds on this whole scene more than what Matthew does. And and so I, I wanted to touch on that, but there's that, well, let's see, let's just turn Mark chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Jesus says to him, um, well, the Father comes and says, if you can heal my son, and Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes, and immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And the thing that I love about that is that it destroys the idea that we have to have it all together before we come to Jesus. Right, yeah. You know, here's here's a father who recognizes Jesus is the only one who can help, but he also recognizes his w- weak faith. Yeah, and absolutely. And so that is uh, incredibly encouraging for people that are doubters and that are, faithless Mm -hmm. and that wrestle and have doubts and questions you can go to jesus and jesus bolsters that face faith and that's what he does with um with healing the son he he says i believe help my unbelief and then jesus does right you don't you don't believe very well well watch this yeah and what a wonderful thing um one of the commentaries i was reading on this made this statement he said jesus did not expect him the father that is to overcome his doubt before the child was healed the child was raised not because the father's faith was perfect, but because Jesus believed all things were possible. Jesus helped the father's unbelief by raising the boy. Um, so we have two. Con- is it right to say then in this passage we have two contrasts already? The the merciless. Well, sure. it doesn't draw out the. It crowd doesn't draw out the merciless one, crowd. But, but you see that theme. Yeah. Emerging right in yep. Matthew's gospel, uh, merciless, uh, especially the religious leaders yes. and the mercy of Jesus, and then. Uh, the faithless generation, mm-hmm. faithless and un- unbelieving generation, in contrast to a man like this, right? The father who had faulty faith, but it was it wasn't perfect faith, no. but there was faith nonetheless was displayed faith. in him bringing yes. his son to Jesus. Yes. Yep. So I think th- those are the first things I noticed, and then there is I think the more difficult part in the passage, and that is the necessity of faith and the disciples' little faith. So, because Jesus addresses in verse 17 this faithless and twisted generation. And here I think he's addressing the crowd. So he's dealing with, um, well, and we were actually just talking about this, right, with uh, in uh, Matthew 24 that we're going to get to. And who is this generation? Well, it's this whole unbelieving people that have rejected Jesus. Right. They don't 
They're not uh, putting their faith in him despite all the signs and wonders he's doing. Right. You know, so here here is a contrast. This father sees Jesus and believes, grows in faith. The others see Jesus do the same thing and don't believe. And so Jesus addresses these, these faithless people. Um, and then he addresses in verse 20 the disciples, and he says, he's, uh, well, the disciples come after Jesus has casted the boy out. And Matthew tells us this must have been a private conversation. And they asked Jesus why they couldn't cast the... the uh, the demon out. And he doesn't, this stood out to me, he doesn't say that they're faithless like he did the generation. Because some people have said, well, maybe the disciples were included in that statement, verse 17, oh, faithless and twisted generation, including the disciples in it. But I don't know if that's necessarily it. I think that the disciples, he says, you have little faith. Mm. So they do have faith, but it's it's just little. And that is something that the scriptures address quite a bit, right? Uh, Matthew uh, 6, verse 30, and Jesus is speaking, If God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Right? So uh, here Jesus is bolstering people with little faith, encouraging us that he will provide. Right. Or Romans 14, verse 1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinion. So um, there is... There are people that are weak in faith and little in faith, and Jesus wants to to help them. Um, but I think the same principle that Jesus does for the Father who has little faith or weak faith, he does for the disciples. Right? He helps them grow in greater faith and dependence on the Lord. And so what happens, I think here, I think what Jesus is talking about, is that the disciples seem to have given up when they were unable to heal the boy, so they, they tried to heal the boy or cast out the demons, and they were they failed in that, and they didn't persist in it as they should have. And and they should have had faith in what Jesus had commissioned them to do. In Matthew 10, right, Jesus commissions them to go out and to heal the sick, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. So they had, I think, uh, what they needed in order to do this. But when they met a challenge, they didn't persist in in faith. Gotcha. I think that's what he's talking about. Now, yeah. maybe others would have other comment but that from what i've studied that's what it what it seems and this uh hendrix in a commentary i was reading on this says faith is a mustard seed because then jesus describes you know if you just have this little bit of faith uh it will grow but he says this faith is a mustard seed is the kind of trust in god which does not immediately give up in despair when its efforts do not meet with immediate success it maintains its uninterrupted and vital contact with God and therefore continues to pray fervently, knowing that God at his own time and in his own way will bestow the blessing. So I think, again, it's it's that the disciples f- fell short, I guess, in a sense. They didn't continue believing that what God had provided he would do and that that would bring about the results in the end. Right. Very good. And then um, that when he says... Um, in verse 20, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Verses like that sometimes are tricky for people yes. because they're like, does that mean I can right. make the Mesa yeah. uh, move? <laughs> right. Uh, but I don't know how much you thought about that or gave, gave thought to that, but I think the idea is that you will, that things will happen mm-hmm. by your faith, uh, prayerful faith Mm -hmm. god will do things yes that would be humanly impossible to do 
It's a kind of a figure of speech, right? Right. There would never be a reason that we would need the Mesa moved in God's plan. plan. Mm -hmm. But in doing things like in the context Mm -hmm. of this, right? Yeah, I think there's a persistency that we're to persist in believing God and persist in doing what he's called us to do. Right. And that that will bring about God's design and work, yeah. and we will see see him do things. Well, think about even when we, we pray for spiritual change in people's yes. lives or whatever, things that are humanly impossible, they are. We may not mm-hmm. perceive it that way, but it is. Like, yes. and unless a person's heart is changed, we say that oftentimes, like unless God changes this person's heart, there mm-hmm. is n- no hope for them, and that's right. truth. Yes. So through, you know, the, the prayers of God's people and... Um, and that through by faith in him that he can do, God does these yes. impossible things. Yep, I think that, yeah, that's that's exactly, exactly it. And because I think that's also helpful because what is happening here and what the disciples are commissioned to do is not prescriptive for what we're supposed to do. Right, right. You know, that commission to the 10 was, or to the 12 was a unique commission, right. I think, for that time. Right. So, yeah, I yeah. don't know if we're supposed to go, like, demon hunting. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it describes what they did, and then we take from that the principles about faith yes. and prayer and yep. and those kinds of things and apply them into where God has us, yeah. right? Yep. So what about the second scene? You want to read that passage, verse 24 and on? Okay. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings and the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So is this how we're going to pay taxes from now on? <laughs> we go fishing? Is that what this means? You know, that would be nice. Yeah, here's here's a prescription for uh, how to pay your taxes. Uh, no, so this is another like scene that is really seems disconnected from the transfiguration, from the healing of this boy, and then what we didn't read in between this, and I did touch on in in my sermon on this passage was Jesus's prediction of his death. But all of this is moving towards the end of Jesus's life, and so we're revealing these final things. I think the purpose of this scene is that Jesus is saying that with his arrival. And now through his fulfilling of the Old Testament law and his death on the cross, the necessity of worship in the temple has come to an end. I think that's what what the point of this is. And the reason is, is that that two drachma tax, this was not a governmental tax. This was a religious tax that was prescribed uh, by the Lord with the construction of the, the tabernacle and then later the temple to fund the worship in those places. So you could probably even draw a comparison to how people give, Christians give to your local church to support the ministry of the church. So think of the tax in that way. So this, uh, I think they say this two drachma tax would have been equivalent to like a two days labor or something like that. Um, And so tax collectors are going around and they're collecting this and they ask Peter, not Jesus, does Jesus pay this tax? They pay this tax. And Peter responds, yes. And that's all that we have of that interaction. The rest of the interaction is Jesus talking to Peter. And Peter goes back to a house and it just seems that Jesus just starts talking to him about this interaction that he had, which you could just, right there, there's something to be seen that Jesus knows he's had this interaction. But I don't think that's the primary point. 
But what Jesus does is he he makes a point about this and explains something about himself. Uh, and he illustrates it, and he asks this question about where kings get their taxes from. Do they take them from their children or from their citizens? And Peter responds, well, the kings take their taxes from, from the citizens. The, the children are not taxed. So I'm assuming there's something uh, societally about that, that, that maybe the children weren't taxed. Although that happens probably in our context too, right? If you're a politician, you get up, find some loopholes around. <laughs> Good thing. That's a whole other podcast. We're not going to go there, podcast. right? But the point is, is that the sons of the king are free from the tax imposed by the king, and so what Jesus is saying is that he is the son of God. The temple is God's house. The son does not need to pay the tax, nor does those whom the son has brought into the family of God. So they are free from paying the tax. So Jesus is saying. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He's already said back in chapter 12 of Matthew that he is greater than the temple, and he's now here. So since the real thing is here now, the shadow, the temple, is no longer needed. So they don't have like an obligation to it anymore. Exactly. They don't have an obligation because that's what he's going to go on to say, though. It's not wrong to pay this tax. Rather, if by not paying the tax you could cause offense to some, or some uh, translations say... um, cause them to err or to stumble, to fall into sin. Because in the minds of some, if Jesus were to come and not pay the temple tax, uh, then he could be giving the idea that he doesn't care about the worship of God. And so in order to not give offense, he pays that, and and this payment is made miraculously, right? As Peter goes out and fishes and pulls it out of the water, and there's the exact amount that is needed to pay this tax. So um, although I think, of course, in time— there is no longer a necessity to pay this tax, especially after Jesus has paid. Uh, it, it, he has died. He has completed, fulfilled all of the law and those things. That has come to an end. Yeah. So well, I think that's the point. After AD seventy two, would be a moot point for exactly. any of the Jews right. reading this, right? Right. Because there's no more temple was destroyed. Yeah. So okay. Any thoughts on any other things that you have on those two passages? Uh, no, I think we've covered those two. Of course, in verses 22 and 23 that we didn't uh, talk about today, but it was just uh, the second time, right? Second time that Jesus yeah. foretells his death. Mm-hmm. First time in verse 16. So as they were gathering, or in chapter 16, as they were gathering Galilee, Jesus said to them, Son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So their understanding of the good, what we consider to be really good news, mm. right? That right. the Son of Man is killed and crucified for our sins. They were distressed about. And yet Jesus, you know, the when I, I was thinking about this uh, just earlier, the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied about the sufferings of Christ, but it Christ himself prophesied about his own sufferings. Right. And um, these early apostles, like Matthew, just reiterating the fact that what happened to Jesus was planned by God, mm. prophesied about Jesus, mm-hmm. and exactly the way yes. it was supposed to happen. Yep. And just seeing that unfolding, too, of redemptive history, they had no understanding. When, we're, when you're reading Matthew's gospel, we, we do have to put ourselves back in their mind. Mm-hmm. The, the disciples, anyway, they had no understanding of these things, and it just did, they were distressed about it, hearing it, and it was only afterwards that the Holy Spirit comes, shows them 
uh, well, after Christ is raised, they see Christ, of course, and then even further, the Holy Spirit comes and illuminates yes. so much to them about the good news and further then fills out Scripture. So if we're taking these big picture uh, chunks of Matthew's gospel, just helping us become better readers, just always remind yourself that those people Jesus ministered to um, and uh, the disciples and those that rejected Christ, all they had no understanding yeah. of the things we have now. Yep. We, because uh, sometimes you read back into Matthew's gospel, knowledge you already have, mm-hmm. right? And, yep. and you can do that to a degree, but it's best to study it out right. as they would have understood yes. it. And that helps you even more. And you know, answer the question: Why is Matthew putting this in yeah. here? Who, who? Let's think about Matthew. You know, in those what fifties, eighties, sixties, AD, trying to to teach people about mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. and what they would have understood and why he would put these things in. And um, I think it makes it fuller. Also, some of these things that like Matthew's gospel lends itself to be to being studied in detail mm-hmm. because there's so many things that if you, you're just reading this on, yeah. in your devotional time, which you should, mm-hmm. but you come across things Jesus says and you kind of like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> right. And I find that week upon week in mm-hmm. Matthew's gospel, it takes me time to sit there, study it, read what others yeah. have said about it, mm-hmm. uh, get various and in understandings, interpretations, mm-hmm. Um, really meditate on it and connect it to the rest of Matthew's gospel yep. to really, and that becomes fun. Yeah, it right? is. Because it, is. It, it, it shines light on it. Mm-hmm. And then what we're trying to do is do that during the week and then we bring the sermon on Sunday so that, you know, maybe it helps everybody understand a certain passage better right. or, again, seeing how it connects to the whole yeah. and, and and reading Matthew's gospel better on, on a, you know, on a, during the week. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, so just to reiterate and just summarize the things that I think we see in these passages, Jesus is merciful, and he's merciful towards sinners and sufferers. He strengthens the faith of the weak, those who have weak and little faith. If you doubt and question, take those to Jesus. The The reality that faith is to persevere, even when we don't get the answer we immediately want, right? We continue believing, continue living by faith, uh, taking God at his word. And then finally, the last one, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, um, which is something we've looked at even as we talked about Leviticus on Sunday night. All right, we look at the law and we see all these things. Instances like this teach us that Jesus has fulfilled it all perfectly. So hopefully that's helpful for people. That's great. Cool. Well, thanks for listening to this podcast. We love to hear from our listeners. If you're inside our church, just talk to us on a Sunday morning send us a text or give us a phone call. If you're outside the church, send us to our overly inflowing email inbox. There's so many emails in there, I can't even keep up. It's ridiculous. Uh, It's thecalvarycast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you have questions, comments, or things like that. At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of his people, and the Great Commission. Until next time.